Today, you'll hear about Matt's divorce and also about two main focal points in marriage. I'm answering your question about what I do in my coaching work is I just focus on habits and I just focus on two of them. And I won't get into them, but they, the, the, the two ideas are habit one, we validate. And a lot of people confuse the idea of validation with agreement. You do not have to agree with your partner, with whom you're having conflict with, in order to validate the emotional experience they're having. And right. so if you can habitually validate, even when you intellectually disagree with them, you can maintain trust in your relationship. That's habit one. And habit two is this idea of consideration. Meaning and, and consideration in a nutshell, the way that I think about it is the average wife and mother thinks of her husband, thinks of her children and includes them in the math equation she uses to make a decision as a default state of being all the time, every day, habitually. And she's often married to a man who she says does not do that. There's frequent evidence that he makes decisions where he doesn't factor in anyone but himself. And again, really minor decisions. Grabbing a cup of coffee while not texting his wife to see if she wants one. This can be really, really minor things. But when the default habit is, I do not remember to consider my wife when I make decisions, ultimately results in an enormous amount of trust breakage over time. I should say trust erosion because of how sort of slowly, incrementally it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so my coaching work revolves around those two things. And I believe very strongly that there's almost nothing we can talk about in the context of relationship conflict that we can't trace back to the absence of mindful consideration for our partner. And then in the conversations about these trust betrayals, trust erosions, the absence of validation for what the other person's experiencing. Right, right. And you know, I'm going to, I'm going to dovetail off of that because, you know, the people that, that you connect with don't know our story, which is mine was a gross betrayal of trust. Mm -hmm. Even though Lori knew coming into our relationship that I had an existing issue with pornography. Um, I, you know, was not self-aware enough to know that I really didn't want to talk about it. I told her that I wanted to talk about it. I thought I was talking about it because we were talking about it before we got married. But in the first five years, I really did not want to talk about it. Well, in the first 15. <laughs> <laughs> That's what uh, I said. We're yeah. talking about this. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to stay together. We need to start yeah. talking. Um, we're, almost, we're almost married 27, and there's still days I really don't. Uh, <laughs> it's not my favorite topic. But... Um, I'll, I'll condense it. In 2006, I went off the rails again. It was not the first time. And I began a daily process of lying to Lori's face. I was telling her in the morning I wouldn't use porn. I would come home at night and tell her I didn't use porn. And for a while it was true. And then it became a lie. It became a very regular lie. Um, until she confronted me in 2010. And then I told the worst lie of them all, which was that it was all her fault, that I, I made a conscious decision, not just to, not, not like what you were talking about, oh, I'm getting a coffee and I didn't think about her, but no, I made a conscious decision to exclude her yeah. from behavior that I was engaging in that was harmful to our marriage. I knew it was harmful to our marriage. I chose to lie to her. And then when all of that came out, 
I also made the choice to put it on her. As Jay said, I knew about the porn habit before we got married. We could talk about it. He was honest about it. He did tell me, you know, his first marriage, it wasn't a problem in his first marriage. So marriage would take care of it. And again, I didn't understand how addiction worked. Um, I really, really, once he started talking about marriage, I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I've been cheated on before. I don't want to, I, I guess I just instinctively felt like once you're letting other people into the marriage, that's not going to be satisfying and you're going to step out. So I really, really, really prayed. And um, our first episode, our first season of our podcast, it's a podcast. It's not out there on the, the that season is not out there on our YouTube channel, the, the season two and beyond are. But episode three, seven, 10 and 11 go into our history, but there were a few signs that pointed to, yes, this is supposed to happen. I consulted with my spiritual advisors, uh, my mentors, and they said, we think God's in this. So I was like, well, if nothing else, I will have to get over my fear of somebody abandoning, abandoning me for somebody else and, you know, me winding up alone. So I took the leap of faith. And like Jay said, there were, you know, uh, we call them mini D-Days. The big D-Day happened in 2015, no, 2010, when we were 15 years married. And up till then, with the other little minor D-Days, I did the basics. You know, I did what's normal. We tried to go to therapy. He didn't like the therapist. We moved uh you know, for another reason, we moved to a different state and that kind of died there. He started going to a, an accountability group and that he got a little bit of traction. Um, and I was like the good little wife and uh, kept my mouth shut. And after the big D-Day, I was like, I've got to do this differently or it will lead to divorce. So, you know, I basically I dove into research and eventually just found tools that um, over time worked. And I mean, we still use those tools, a lot of those tools today. And that list of, you know, list of effective techniques um, keeps growing because sometimes we still <laughs> need them, you know? Um, but I always kind of knew I'd be working with marriages. I've always wanted a really good marriage. And because we've hit so many rough spots, I've learned also how to have a really, really good life outside of marriage. You know, before I remember reading, it was early in our early after D-Day, I went to Barnes and Noble and I was just pouring over books and saw one by a guy who said, 10% of your happiness should come from your marriage. And I'm like, what? I think, you know, 80% should come from that, but it's gotten to the point where I know how to make that a reality. I'd say about 20% um, of my overall joy comes from us, even though, you know, we can get really joyful, but between my higher power and just other ways I've found that help me feel um, content and happy and joyful, 
I know that I'm going to be okay, even if he went back to that uh, kind of life. Um, even if he went back to porn or, or looking for other women or lying about a bunch of stuff. I mean, that's where I wanted to get to. That's where I knew I could get to if this kind of thing happened. So even, even though all that happened, I can say it was, I can't say it's the best thing because I'm a parent. <laughs> can't say it's the best thing that's ever happened to me, um, but it's been a very, very good thing for me. And so since then we've uh, you know, done a lot of trainings and gotten certified as mentors. And I've been through the betrayal trauma training and now we help other couples. And so with the wives who come to me, I'm able to work them toward like, you're going to be okay, no matter what he does. And then Jay's pretty effective at getting the guy to, you know, want more for his own life than his addiction. And, you know, if they can make it into our couples program, then we help them rebuild the trust after quite a bit of work. So um, that's what we're doing now with it. And, um, you know, we do that full time. So, and I'm continuing with trainings with um, in trauma and in, you know, how to heal more quickly and, and that sort of thing. And so it's just, I love it. <laughs> I love this work. Yeah. It's much more gratifying than corporate marketing was. And I mean that respectfully to my former employer who was lovely, but it, the, the work is, is so good to be working with what is often, again, sort of like the most important thing going on in people's at least earthly lives. Yeah. And um, it's, yeah, it's a good thing. You said it's a big ask for anyone to, to kind of engage with someone. And she stayed. I mean, this is 27 years of dealing with someone who is wildly unhealthy a lot of the time early on in our marriage. And, you know, changing that was not, it, it was not my necessarily my choice. I wanted to. There was a part of me that wanted to, but there was a bigger part of me that just wanted to hope that somehow I would wake up and be okay one day. Matt, one thing that you kind of touched on that I wanted to dive a little bit more into was just your own story. You know, I don't know how much you want to share, if you feel comfortable, if you don't. Yeah. Feel Do you mean past tense or present tense? Um, because present okay. tense is very uninteresting. Past tense is relevant in the context of everything that I write and talk about, because I weave my personal story into the so-called coaching work that I do. Well, tell us what hospital you were born in. And then all your <laughs> teachers no, but the things you feel like are relevant, mainly past tense, but then, yeah, you can kind of bring it up to speed. All right. Well, I mean, I mean, I'm happy to share. I don't want to bore people to death with like a bio, but I, the, the, the relevant facts I think would be my parents split when I was four years old, almost five. And that was in 1983 and was born in Iowa. And then my mom is from Ohio. She was there. She went to college out there on scholarship, met my father. They got married young as people sometimes did in the late seventies at 23 and 21. And, um, I came along and when divorce happened four and a half, five years later, back in 1983, a judge would let like a parent 
just like take the child to another state. Like, so when my mom was awarded custody, we moved back to Ohio where she was from. And I grew up in Ohio about 500 miles away from my dad. And so I only saw him during school breaks, like summer breaks and then like holiday breaks in the winter. And that was really challenging for me. That was like my first sort of hardship in life was I really miss my father like all the time. And, um, and, and mom too, certainly when I went to see dad, but like, you know, you missed like the minority parent more, um, in a, in the context of it felt there, there was an inequality there in in terms of the amount of time spent. And anyway, that really shaped me like psychologically, emotionally to be like adamant that I would never get divorced. Like that was the number one sort of thing in my life. I'm going to be really, really smart about who I choose to invest the rest of my life with, and I'm never getting divorced. And then fast forward to college, you know, meter, we, uh, we attended the University of Toledo in Ohio. We graduated, we moved to Florida, um, where I was a print journalist at the time, and um, began our lives together. We you know, got engaged, got married while we lived down there for about four years. And um, I don't know, we ended up moving back to Ohio because we miss family and friends and, and, and we're here now. But um, well, I say we, but not as a married couple. Again, we've been divorced for nine years. Um, but feeling sort of my marriage, like develop issues and problems and pains. It, I'm like, I love this woman. I'm a decent person. I've never, ever tried to hurt her in my life. I'm a good husband. What's her problem? And that was sort of my default sort of state of being throughout my relationship. Anyway, our marriage fell apart. I, I, I didn't understand why. I thought she was responsible for being unhappy. Thought she was the person trying to make me responsible. And I think a lot of men can relate to this idea. I believed my wife was trying to make me responsible for her emotions. And I thought that was unfair. Like, like if you feel bad about something that, that isn't a big deal, it's your problem to like fix your emotional calibration. And like, I really believed that shit. Pardon my language. And, um, and, sorry. And, um, it, it's, I really believed it. And, and, and so, I mean, that was a big part of the work was, the, 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 I mean, in fact, that's all of the work. Next time, we'll talk about the work guys have to do if they've harmed the relationship. See you then.